At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So, uh, nobody just heard your cough, but I'm sure they're going to hear your cough multiple times, Cody. Um, did you decide to bring the vid back from South Africa with you? I'm not, I'm not positive. I brought something back. Really, right now, just feels like a good old cold. Um, but you know, when you just came back from Africa, you're, you'll let your mind wander a little bit about what's going on. So, I'll probably give it three or four more days of feeling like this, and then I, I don't, uh, I don't do doctors really. Not a big fan. Don't like doctors. Um, but uh, if I feel like this in three or four days, I will go visit uh, someone claiming to know what they're doing. Why don't you just stick one of those things up your nose and just figure it out? And if you got COVID, then you don't need to see a doctor. But what? 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 I don't understand why. What would I do if I had COVID? Nothing. It's just going to tell you that you don't need to go see a doctor. I'm trying to help you here. Like you don't want to go see a doctor. I don't. I don't. Want very to... good. Very good medical advice, Robbie. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, Thank you. Very good. I don't. Uh, so stick the thing up my nose. Find out that I do have COVID, and then change nothing. Yeah. Well, no, now know that you don't have to go to a doctor. Right. I think I'll probably Versus... write it out. I'm kind of a, uh, <laughs> it doesn't kill you kind of guy, you know? <laughs> Julia McQueen, have you ever hunted in South Africa? I have, twice. Ooh, who did you hunt with? Yeah. So, my first time over there, you're, this is aging myself a little, it was 20 years ago. I was just a child. Well, I wasn't a child, I was in my early 20s. Um, I hunted with, I can't remember my PH's name, but he was amazing. Um, and my first time over there, we did a rifle hunt. It was so much fun. It was just like, 
it was it was a world I had ne- I didn't even know something like that existed mm. in this world um, because I'm from a small town in Oklahoma, so things like that don't really exist. Um, and then I went back ten years ago and did an archery hunt. Um, I've been uh, yeah, I went to the first time over. I went to Kimberly, um, Southern Cape. Second time I went to the Limpopo province. Awesome. I, I did hit Botswana for a little bit. It was just beautiful. I, the thing when people ask me about it. I rarely talk about the animals that we took. It's the sunsets. Is, it, is there something about the sunset? And well, it's Africa? just the sky, right, There's Cody? Just it's just it's it. so big. It's the same yeah. sky, but it just feels bigger. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Everything about it is amazing. I uh, the first time that I went, I went with a friend that invited me, my best friend, um, and I didn't. I had no urge, right? Like it wasn't a thing that was on a bucket list to hunt Africa, and now. I schedule my next trip before I leave the, uh, the, leave the place. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. So Julie, uh, you know, welcome to the, the roundup, by the way, Julie McQueen. Um, for those of you that do not know who Julie McQueen is, will you introduce yourself to those that may not know who you are? Yeah, I'm Julie McQueen, Jules, as most people call me. Um, I am, I've been in the outdoor industry for about 20 years now since I was in my early 20s. And um, I'm the president of Carbon TV. So I run this amazing network where we have 250 something shows that air with us and lots of really cool stuff going on. Um, I've been in, what I'm known for is TV production in the outdoor world. So I'm a uh, field producer, line producer, executive producer of multiple shows, commercials, pilot series over the years. And then I moved um, over into the corporate world, and now I run the network. And cool. it's amazing. Yeah. And we're, yeah. Big, we're big fans of you, we're big fans of Carbon TV, and Blood Origins has just got its ducks in a row today, by the way. Your fresh okay. news for you. We have all of our folders, and we have everything squared away, so we're going to start um, loading up content and releasing content on, on Carbon TV. Amazing. Welcome to the family. No, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm so, so proud to have you guys over here. It's incredible. Yeah, we're just, we're interested in, you know, we're, you know, as everyone knows that listens to this, we're a very different model. We don't, we're not the like, let's see how many people we can, you know, get in terms of the the money and the products and all that kind of stuff. We just want people to watch our stuff, understand our stuff a little bit more, think a little bit more. And then share it with, you know, whoever they you know, they want to share it with. Hopefully, their non-hunting community. And right. people consume content in various different ways nowadays. Some people love Carbon TV. Some people love YouTube. Some people love My Outdoor TV. Whatever. And so we want to just try and be as in many places as we possibly can to reach the most people we possibly can. I love that mindset. You know, we've built a good business around that mindset. And I I always say, the more popular you are, the better it is for us. And, you know, I, I really fully believe that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to have you guys coming over. Yeah, we're excited. Um, Cody, did we, um, I know the last roundup, you were in South Africa, had a great time with Carl, John X. Um, did you get any responses, text messages from our roundup? Jealous of you being there? Any comments about your wife being a better shot than you? Oh, wow. We're going to bring that up again. My wife is uh, uh, just. Yeah, my wife is an incredible rifle shot, and uh, 
I, I spent a lot of time hunting with guys that I was in the Marine Corps with. So it eventually comes out that I was, in fact, a sniper in the Marine Corps. No one takes into consideration that that was 27 years ago and that most of my time since then has been bow hunting. So anytime anything doesn't go perfectly with me with a rifle, um, I take a lot of junk over it. Um, and then when my wife goes with me and 100% outshoots me, um, yeah, it makes for a rough uh, makes for a rough couple of days when your buddies are around and find out about that. My wife, my wife actually, um, first time ever hunting gets to be a John X Safaris in Africa, in South Africa, um, and she pulled the trigger three times and put three beautiful animals uh, down, and and uh, it was an incredible experience. I think she really enjoyed it. I don't know that the. Uh, that hunting in America, we'll, we'll find out, you know, um, she has a mule deer tag for this year in Colorado, slightly different style of hunting <laughs> than uh, the South African model and uh, slightly harder to find the game a lot of times. So we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, an incredible experience. And uh, Chef Pascal, who is a, is an incredible game chef, um, he's a Frenchman that lives in, in London, um, Michelin stars chef that has gotten out of the restaurant business to just travel the world and show people how delicious wild game can be. Um, and he was in camp with us. So everything that uh, even the, the coolest thing was some of the South African folks like whispering in our ear, we don't think Pascal's going to be able to make that as delicious as everything else and he just blew our minds with everything he cooked so incredible food um incredible hunting everything was great sounds like a bunch of excuses when it came to your shooting but that we'll, we'll, we'll understand you know we understand I missed. I missed one yeah you missed that's all just stop right there you missed it's okay i'm saying <laughs> Yeah, we had a 10-minute <laughs> argument about the wind called. It was 18-mile-an-hour winds gusting to 25 and a warthog at 548, and I skimmed the back of it. It was – I missed. I'm not saying <laughs> – but it was not some easy pud shot. Um, and uh, it was – but, no, it was a wonderful experience. I took a lot of shit over that deal, um, especially when my wife then goes out and – you know, drops everything. First spring buck was at 368 and just perfect shot. Um, so, yeah, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Julie, do you have any – I know you're around about this time of the year. That's why I asked you, are you in, in your elk camp? Typically this time of the year, you're in, like, a place that is I, your, yeah. like, solitude, right? Yeah, I actually – yesterday I was looking back. I do I do the thing where you, like, click on the year in your iPhoto, and it tells you where you were last year. Mm. And last year at this time, I was actually in Utah um, helping on a hunt there, and then – a year ago tomorrow, I started my Colorado archery elk hunt a year ago. I was supposed to do that hunt again this year, and then I switched to a rifle hunt, and then I canceled that. So I have a very relaxed schedule, hunting schedule for this year, unfortunately. But I still get out there a little bit. But for right now, I'm, I'm at my office. It just means but, you work more, unfortunately. Yeah, and I work a lot. You know, yeah. I do. And it's it's one of those kind of like 
it's a bittersweet thing. It's a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. Um, The business is doing so well right now. I kind of feel like I have to be present for a few things that we have going on. Um, But, you know, I sneak out long weekends. I go, you know, I'll hit some places out West and either attend to hunt with other people and Mm -hmm. I'll film it for them or just be present, you know, and and help out. Um, Or, you know, I'll, I'll go sneak off on a hunt of my own here and there. Not as much as I used to, unfortunately. Well, that's just part and parcel of the deal. I, I think know. Cody and I totaled up. I had, I think I I hunted a total of three days in 2021. Eesh, None tough. of which were with my boys. Yeah. That's which tough. is like, what the hell are we doing here, man? I know, right? Yeah, I know. I'm going, I'm going through this phase right now where I'm, you know, I, I'm setting a, a major goal for next year to not let this happen again. I need to be back in the field. Um, I remember back, you know, prior to me taking this job at Carbon, when I had my other company, I was in the field 200 days a year minimum. Wow. And it was, I would, I would gauge my success on how many days out of the year <clears throat> am I in the field? It's not how many contracts are we getting? How much money are we making? It was how many days am I outside? And it was, we were rich, you know, in that way, it was like more than half the year easy in the Mm -hmm. field producing things. And I'm not saying I'm not completely happy because I mean, the business is amazing. I am so passionate about what I do, but things have to change. I need to be back in the field a little bit more for me to really feel like my soul is in the right place. Um, Unfortunately, this year, most of my hunts are more towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So I'm here just living vicariously through all my friends who are out mule deer and elk hunting right now. There we go. There we go. Cody, did we get any text messages in? Um, not well, I know many. you've been in South Africa, so not, not very many. Um, we got one from uh, we got one of an article um, about PETA attacking dove hunting um, from Chris in Utah. It's a good article. We'll put the link up. Um, I don't think it's an insane concern right now, but they're coming after it. Um, we did get an article away, an, a, uh, no, yeah, that's the only one that we've gotten since the ones that we read from South Africa. The text messages have slowed down a little bit, guys. So 620-860-4804, if you want to send us a text message or email us at info at bloodorigins.com. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I know we, we got a couple of articles to talk about today, but. I wanted to start with um, something else because obviously, Cody, you just came back from South Africa. I was in Spain, Julie, for six days filming a documentary, not hunting, unfortunately. Um, I need to figure something. I got to I got to sort my life out like I spend, you know, these times in these places and we go balls to the wall and then we're like back on the plane and back home. Got to got to slow down a a few cushion days at the end to do the other thing exactly uh and then i was in uh dc for 24 hours yesterday yeah and uh closed down the bar with the louisiana alligator industry last night okay well that's not something you hear every day oh no but a phenomenal conservation success story probably the biggest conservation success story in dare i say in recent times in america and mm-hmm. with probably the most regulated trade of any animal in the world. It's it's almost like the epitome of the model that could be used for rhino horn or elephant ivory, which is when the when the animal is killed, 
there is a tag and a number that goes from it all the way through to production of the purse. And so you can trace that animal any which way you want. It's highly, highly, highly regulated. And it's worked. The alligator population is burgeoning here in the United States. Um, but one of the things that obviously, and, and, and you said that you've been to South Africa, you've been to South Africa twice. Um, did you go to South Africa to trophy hunt, Julie? Of course. Of, of course, course that's a great answer. Cody, did of you go to Africa to trophy hunt? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So why do you think trophy hunting is so vilified in that we had Peter Flack on the podcast last week. Peter Flack is a phenomenal author and out from Africa. Um, he's one of the old colonial voices of African hunting. And, uh, you know, one of his comments was trophy hunting is actually uh, trophy hunting and meat hunting is exactly the same thing. And, and we've all, it's, you know, you're going to, from a meat perspective, you want to kill the biggest animal so you get the most meat. Um, or you want a younger animal for tenderer meat, whatever. You're still qualifying some sort of value on that animal, which is what trophy hunting is. You're qualifying some sort of value on the animal so that you can take that animal that you choose, that you desire, that you say, that is the animal I want to take. So what's the issue then when it comes to trophies? Well, I mean, it's all relative, right? What you consider a trophy might be very different from what somebody else considers a trophy. Mm. I mean, you know, some people go hunting and a trophy is literally bringing anything home. That is a trophy. That is, you know, and, and we all understand. Well, I can't say we all understand. Many of us who are around this conversation on a daily basis understand the difference in somebody who is trophy hunting and looking for the older, male, you know, larger size, you know, that is definitely a trophy that they're going after. Um, other people, you know, that it qualifies to say a trophy is a younger, more delicious, maybe it's their kid's first animal. That's a trophy as well. Right. But I think that the name, the word specifically as a grammarian, word choice is very important. And I think that um, a lot of times when you say vilified it's word choice mm -hmm. so if you were to take a lot of these articles that were written by a person who is attempting to vilify and you took every piece of information in that article and handed it over to a person on the other side of the fence we could rewrite it in a beautiful way mm -hmm. and put the same information the same data probably more data and you know kind of spin that in a way that was more in our favor but it's really just the voice, you know, whoever puts it out there first and whoever is getting the most traction. And there's a lot of money going behind a lot of this vilification. Sure. Which, I mean, you can't argue with that, but it's a lot of it's word choice. Mm -hmm. Trophy hunting is always going to have kind of a negative connotation, even though it's, you know, I mean, it can mean different things to different people. So, Cody, if, if trophy hunting is always going to have a negative connotation. We've seen in the industry people attempting to create another term for trophy hunting, conservation hunting. Is it just putting lipstick on a pig? And are we just like creating another issue and like you're like, you're just calling something, this thing that you, that is the, you know, gross that you're going after this trophy, you're just now calling it something else and dressing it up, but we know it's the same thing. 
Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I read this quote the other day that said, when you give up your language, you give up your culture. And to me, that is what changing words to appease other people is. First of all, I know almost, I, I don't want to say I know net zero. I think that I know zero, but I'm not for sure. People who are hunters who use the damn phrase, right? Like, do you know anyone that walks around with a shirt that says I'm a trophy hunter or is sitting around at the campfire talking about trophies? I mean, like, it's not, it's, it's not a thing that is prioritized by anyone that I roam around with and hunt with is that phrase. Um, the other, Julie, you made exquisite points and they're all spot on. The other thing that I think is very, very important and maybe in my mind is the biggest factor is the misinformation of, I don't think now, if, if you step off into predators, it gets a little janky and we have to defend it through other means. In the United States, you can't just take the trophy, the quote unquote taxidermy trophy. It's against the law, right? For the trophy to be the only thing that you take out of the, I think we've done the research, Robbie. Didn't we decide that all 50 states have some form of a one? Mm, I don't know. We didn't, we, we didn't get too deep into it. We said we would, but we didn't. Well, there are wanton waste laws. We don't know the extensiveness of them. Um, and then someone who wants to talk about Africa, my experience in Africa is they kick our ass as Americans in the utilization of the entire animal, right? Like there's zero cutting the, the head off to mount it at the taxidermist and leaving everything else. That's poaching in, in across the board, right? That's, to me, I think a lot of the fervent vilification comes from misinformation. Right. Like I absolutely went to Africa hoping to bring some trophies home, but that was a small percentage of the reasons I went to Africa and a small percentage of the experiences that I had over there and every single, like kind of in a weird way that us as Americans struggle with every single part of the animal is used, right? Like, they're using parts of the animal that, you know, we, we, we leave in the field some of the things that they use and, and consume over there in a way that's admirable. I'm not sure that my stomach would put up with it, but they do. Um, I, that's, to me, the biggest thing happening is the misinformation that all, all of these Americans and Europeans are going to Africa, shooting animals, cutting the head off and leaving everything else to waste. If we can mm -hmm. cure that misinformation, I think the, you know, the extreme vilification would back off some, because I think there's a, a bunch of sensible people who, and it's a lot of them are hunters, right? But they call themselves meat hunters and then they vilify trophy hunters. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm a meat hunter as much as anyone else, but I also like to shoot old mature males, you know, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of misinformation in the concept as well. I think we saw that on a post that you made, I think yesterday, Robbie, with the, with the post mm -hmm. yesterday, um, we even saw some of that 
inner argument starting to happen. Um, I don't know anyone, that any, anyone that I've ever heard of that just shot a deer in the United States and cut the head off for the trophy. That's a poacher. That's not a hunter. I got into this exact argument in Africa at the pub. And the comparison that I made was that, Robbie, if you walked into a store and bought a pack of gum and left, and I came in right behind you and stole the same pack of gum and left, you're a shopper and I'm a shoplifter. And that's the difference between a hunter and a poacher. Everybody's fine that you bought the gum and I'm getting arrested for stealing the gum because I did a bad thing. And I think if we could cure that misinformation, I'm not saying we would fix the whole thing. I just believe there's a ton of sensible people out there who have been misinformed about people who shoot something and then put a memory on the wall. Julie, do you think that that's even possible at this stage of the game to change that perception? So I believe that there's already an abundance of information out there. I do. As a person who runs a network with like the largest library on earth of outdoor content, I know the information is there for the taking. It's free. You can go on, I don't care, Carbon TV, YouTube, anywhere you want to go, and you can put in the right search words, and you can find educational and entertaining information on what actually goes down on these hunts. And if you were a person who really genuinely wanted to know and who had an interest in seeing both sides of this story or seeing all three sides of the story, um, you can find that information freely. I, I believe that it's not a factor of, it's not, it's not a situation where, oh, this information needs to be more available. It's that the people on the other side of the conversation genuinely don't want to know that. Maybe there's something mm. that exists in their world, in their past, in their history, in their culture, in their family. There's something possibly blocking them from wanting to know what that information includes. Maybe they're not comfortable with it. And we can't change people. You can't, you can't sit there and have an argument online and, and actually change the way a person is going to live their life if you're not sitting across from them and, and forming like a real relationship you're, it's just not going to happen. So my stance on that after 20 years of kind of watching all of this go down and watching and observing and listening to the arguments coming from all different angles is it's not a lack of information. So many thousands of people in our outdoor community have put, put free information out there for everyone to kind of know what actually happens. All of the, you know, in Africa, you know, the, the villages and the families and the people, everyone who's being fed and supported by these animals that are harvested right here, all of the amazing programs, you know, hunters feeding the hungry and donation programs. And even if the person doesn't, you know, butcher it themselves and take it home to their own family, it is being used in most cases, I would assume that information is out there. Somebody who is, you know, investing into arguing against that you're not likely to change their mind by having an online argument with them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you know that's one of the things that we pride ourselves in and that we we're going to have that argument with that individual 
if Cody gets involved, it gets a little racy. If I'm involved, I stay a little more gentlemanly. Um, but more often than not, it's not actually the individual that we're interested in changing their minds on. It's the 10,000 people that are watching us comment back and forth and what we say and how we say it. Um, so, yeah. no, I, I... Julie, I would say you're 99.9% .9 accurate, but we have, Ooh. like... 0.1%. Like, what's wrong with the 1.1%? 1 .1%? Well, the 1% <laughs> is the very few number of individuals who we have informed them and their viewpoint changed. It's happened. It's kind of like my, uh, it's my carrot that keeps me going in love and blood origins is that we've had some, we've had some who literally, now you're right. If they'd have gone and seeked it out, they would have found the information that, that changed their mind. Instead, they came to argue with us and we put that information in front of them. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they tell us to F off and won't listen to us. But we have. We have had people go, are you serious? There's this phenomenal – I love finding the proof on essentially anti-hunting websites, right? Like there's this phenomenal time lapse of an elephant, and it's on National Geographic, right? They didn't make it up to support hunting and then put it on National Geographic, right? And But it's that how – an elephant that's harvested by a trophy hunter is then used by the tribe in the, in the, in the locals in the community. And uh, so you're, you're right. It's a nearly futile battle, um, but it is a battle that I love because well, <laughs> sometimes it's weeks and sometimes it's more than weeks in between victories, but we do get the victories every once in a while. Yeah, I it, it's all relative. Again, it's it's how you define a victory, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on to the first article of the day. I know that wasn't really an article; that was just more of a com conversation piece. <laughs> um, so one of the coolest, and, and I'll say coolest now because, but I know some of our Indian colleagues will be listening to this podcast, and they'll call us out through specific WhatsApp groups and say, "No." Nah, probably the worst idea that's ever happened in the state of in, in the, the republic of india or the commonwealth of india um but india is home to if you've listened to previous podcasts that we've done with uh rajiv who talked about human wildlife conflict in india H human wildlife conflict in india is probably number one in the world okay they have a phenomenal predator population they have a phenomenal predator diversity on the landscape. They have wolves, they have bears, they have tigers, they have leopards, and they have lions. Now, they will also have cheetahs. Uh, a very, very industrious uh, conservation move is happening right now from Namibia. Uh, they're moving eight cheetahs into a national park in India. And a lot of people are cheering. A lot of people say this is terrible. Because why not focus all of that money, all that effort on the issues that we have in the state of India right now versus introducing this new animal into it? Um, it was on firstpost.com. The article is titled, which is quite interesting, and you can obviously get the feel of this whole, this whole effort by the title of the, of the article. It says, two friends, two siblings, and more 
who are the eight cheaters coming to India from Namibia? Like as if the cheaters have personalities and they have, you know, gene genealogies and whatnot. But good thing, bad thing for conservation, Julie McQueen. So, if I recall, they were considered extinct in 1952, right? Correct. So it's been a significant amount of time since this animal has existed in that ecosystem, and I but it used I to. know that there it used to. It did. Yeah. And apparently not very well. Right. So there was something that went wrong in the system because they did become extinct officially in 52. So since then, I think that, you know, I would have to kind of take a kind of a from 30,000 feet up view of what has happened in those years since, um, you know, what does the ecosystem look like now? What is the, you know, how are the other um, native species, you know, thriving, surviving, like what's going on? But, you know, I honestly think that um, it's always worth a try. If there's a way to reintroduce something like that, um, as long as the people in charge have really collected the data, right? And it's not just one of those, oh, this sounds cool. Let's, let's do this for a political, because I do also know that they're kind of making this a statement piece as they release these cheetahs. It's like, you know, the, who is it? The prime minister, I forget. Mm -hmm. Some, some yep. guy prime is going to release it on his birthday. And That's it's right. kind of a, it's kind of a thing where he's, they're, they're doing this for a lot of PR. And I understand that. And I think that if it's done in the right way for the right reasons, it's all about intention. Like, why are you doing this to get attention? If it's data driven, and they have actually put the resources in the right place, it could be very interesting. You know, there's a lot that's changed in the past, you know, 60, 70 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that just based on everything I know about that entire situation, I mean, I, I certainly hope, fingers crossed, that, that somebody has done actual research and that they have, it sounds like they put a little thought into it, but I hope it's not just a PR thing. I really do. Cody, this is... It it arguably could be like one of the big momentous conservation reintroductions in the world. We've seen the Twenty Four Lions project in Mozambique. We've seen Ivan move, one hundred and fifty elephants in Mozambique. They've done some elephant transfers from Namibia up into the Congo. This is huge, man! It's an extinct species, an extinct predator, being reintroduced into its native landscape. It's huge. It's a really cool thing today that there's a potential for massive regret in a decade. And it, it all goes back to exactly what, what Julie, Julie said it spot on. I gave the rare Cody thumbs up when she was saying that, that, <laughs> that having the data, thinking through it, and then I would, I would tack on having a plan. A plan that India doesn't currently have a very good plan to deal with their human wildlife conflicts with predators. Um, having a plan and being willing to do what's necessary to not regret it horribly in a decade. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think eight cheetahs are going to cause some huge problem on a grand scale in the country of India. Um, but a decade from now, I don't know my cheetah repopulation numbers very well, but a decade from now, 80 cheetahs, um, 
No, too many, Robbie. I got this. Yeah, you got the you got the the, the got Robbie the Kroger up. you got the Robbie Kroger yeah. raised eyebrow look. Yeah. Like, whatever. I, that that's take everything that Julie just said. Also, add if they don't have a plan that there could be some massive regret in a deck. To me, it's it's no different. I think having wolves on the landscape in the mountain states in the United States is cool as hell. I do. I think having wolves around is cool as hell, but we're screwing up in most places with a, with the plan, with, with looking, I, I don't want wolves to go away in the, in the Rocky mountain States. I think it's cool that they're there. I love hearing them. How kind of gives me goosebumps when I walk down a track that a pack of wolves went through the snow before me. I, I, that's amazing to me absolutely ridiculous how out of control they've let the numbers get in certain places and if that happens with the cheetahs it's nobody's i mean it's nobody's fault but their own i also do think it's very interesting like you read that article there was a specially fit 747 or something design you know the, mm -hmm. the argument of could this money have been better spent um to me that's whoever's money it is this decision um, right. Um, but that's definitely a thing that could be discussed as well. Um, I like predators, man. I like big predators. Um, and I love them getting reintroduced into places where poor human practices over the last 100 to 150 years eliminated them. I like those stories. Um, but if you don't have a plan, it, it can really mess things up. Well, they really, uh, unfortunately, I think the answer to India is that there isn't a plan yeah, because no, no, that's I said. right now there is no. There... <laughs> does, it, does it kind of seem like by the title of that article that you just read, Robbie, that maybe they're trying to downplay the human conflict situation because they're like, oh, Sally the cheetah is not going to eat anybody. I mean, they're yeah, very, they're, Sally they're and the, the two buddies that are inseparable <laughs> and, you they're know, buddies. Yeah. they're not going to harm anyone. But, it, but I think that that is, you know, it kind of goes full circle to what we were talking about earlier about word choice and framing, and it, they know their audience, and, the, and it's very clickable, right? If you see that article, you're going to click that and go like, oh, that sounds really cool. They get a private plane and a cool little, you know. Helicopter. Yeah, they get some, some meat thrown at them for a little bit, and like, it, you know, get them back in the, you know get them acclimated to the, the area and they've, they've made it a very, um, you know, humanized experience. Um, and it may just be kind of a way to downplay, which could be good or bad, right? You don't want people to get, get all up in arms. If this mm -hmm. is something that's already going to be done, it's already set in place. You're, you're not trying to upset the population about it, but I think data facts being real about it is just the responsible way to go instead of, pretending like they're all just buddies and they're just going to, yeah. you know, not going to harm anybody. Well, India has a very strong animal rights and animal welfare um, sort of agenda. They've, it's been like that since hunting was banned in 1977. Uh, there is no wildlife management essentially in place except for very, very nuisance animals. Um, if you want to hear about that, we did do a podcast with uh, Prasanth Singh, who is a contracting 
man-eating leopard hunter in the state of India. Um, and India has had like, you know, almost 70 people killed by tigers this year. It's absolutely insane, the human-wildlife conflict. Cheetahs probably are not going to eat anybody. That's not, that's not what they do. Um, and there's plenty of prey base for them to eat. Feral dogs everywhere. Lots and lots of wildlife anywhere. So, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it's not a stunt. Hopefully it's a great conservation success story. Uh, but the people on the ground in India will have certainly differing opinions on, hey, what, what should be doing, what they should be doing, what the government should be doing, what not. So, we're talking about what the government's doing. Jeez, my segues today are, are really good. Done. <laughs> um, we had a monstrous win. And when I say we, we, the hunting community, had a monstrous win this past week in terms of ducks and geese coming out of Canada by hunters bringing them in. If you're not aware of the story, the situation was this. USDA APHIS, there's a, a very strong... Um, outbreak of uh, the highly pathogenic avian influenza, HPAI, up in Canada. And unfortunately, in a scenario like that, there's not much you can do because you cannot stop ducks and geese migrating. But the only thing that you can do, which probably accounts for 0.1% of any movement of this HPAI, is to limit the movement of dead carcasses of ducks and geese, which are hunters. Some well-meaning biologist said, this is a good thing. This is my job. This is what I need to do. And put this recommendation forward as a regulation, and it got promulgated. And all of a sudden, people are like, what is going on? Hunting community said, hold on a minute. This is crazy. Um, you're now telling us to get into the... not." Because there's no law, I don't believe, Cody, based on some of the inf or some of the stuff I've read. It's not wanton waste. Uh, but you're encouraging people to just throw away their dead ducks because they don't want to use them. They can't use them anymore. And also, you're breaking a bunch of federal laws because you have to keep identifiers on the bird itself to what kind of bird it was and tied to your limits. Well, lo and behold, it got absolutely reversed. Completely. Back to normal back to everything, leave the wing on, take everything else out, but they just added a couple of stipulations, make sure it's clean of dirt and all that kind of stuff. So actually quite a massive, massive, massive win. I don't know if you heard about it, Julie. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I did hear about it. And, you know, I think that it, it is a huge win. I think that um, anything that kind of gets people in the mindset of just being more responsible overall you know, I know one of the things, you know, that they that they listed as I don't know if it's regulation or recommendation, but making sure that your other gear is washed clean. Right. Mm -hmm. So like getting all of the, you know, if you have feathers or blood or, you know, meat byproduct, if you have all of it kind of on your gear, making sure everything's clean, tidy, put away. So you're not just kind of transferring that around. I think that's good practice anyways. Sure. I think, you know, in general. Um, and I do think that a lot of people probably really appreciate that even if you have to take a few additional steps, at least you're able to transport what you want to. Um, I think, you know, in any of those cases where there's, even if it's a tiny risk and it's 0.01% of a risk, um, why not take a few extra steps and be responsible about it? Um, 
yeah, I'm, I, I think it's great. And I think that we'll probably see more arguments um, from both sides um, coming up in, you know, the next couple of years on that. As Do you think so? Like, it I was do. one of those things that it wasn't like an anti-community that came out against the regulation. Mm. It was a government agency that was like, oh, when they really thought about it, okay, this, this just is a, it's a, it's, it, it's the classic scenario of an academic biologist making a call saying, that's a pretty good call, but not thinking about the ramifications, the, yeah. the politics associated with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I do I think that because there's you know some type of a um, a question there's even a question to it I think that it'll always come back up it it will probably get better you know yeah. as the years go on people will start understanding it's not as much of a risk as what they thought in the beginning um, but I think overall just all of those recommendations regular whatever you want to call it regulations um, I think that it's it's a healthy practice anyways. Cody, any thoughts? Well, just the grumpy old man thoughts that... Which you play so well, by the way. You play very well. I'm not really acting. The the article says that there was meetings before. Conservation groups, hunting groups were all a part of it. And I think, and and it sounds to me like everyone left those meetings kind of thinking they had a happy compromise, and then boom, that wasn't at all what APHIS put out when when they came mm. out and banned this. Um, that part of it makes me question your scenario of this innocent, well-meaning biologist was behind this. I I don't know why. I got nothing. It's it's lunatic conspiracy. Theory. There's no way this is a conspiracy theory. Everyone's like they even noted in their they noted in their little press release that yes, we know this affects hunting and hunters. There is no way that they purposely did it to attack hunting and hunters. So why did they leave the round table with a different agreement than they released shortly thereafter? All sorts of things could have changed their minds. There could have been pressure from someone else, pressure from politician, pressure from someone. It's not going. It's not the. But it's not a, a point in pressure saying, "I want hunting gone," and I think that's where the conspiracy theory has come into it. Could have been. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it was because I have absolutely no idea. Julie just lost power in her entire no, building. I, I have to turn my. I'm in my office. I have to turn my office lights back on. <laughs> It's a good I mean, thing I'm it's not a video. Side. Yeah, it's I a know. good thing it's not a video. <laughs> Cody, funny, funny uh, scenario. Last time, Judy, Julie and I were on, on a podcast together, and it was a video. Julie had this monster black eye. <laughs> I and I was like, shit, Julie, how'd you get that black eye? She's like, I dropped my phone on it. Right on my face. Yep. It was, was a like, shiner too. I was like, was how did you, did you like, were you like trying to put it, you, you know, you had your phone up on the ceiling trying to, you know, she was like, no, I just had it out in front of my face and I dropped it out of my hand. But it happens you know, to be that she had one of those huge brick iPhones. And- <laughs> you know what it was? It was karma. I, I preach about like getting good sleep and don't know screen time and whatever. I woke up in the morning, picked up my phone first thing and dropped it right on my face. So karma. <laughs> That's what that was. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. hilarious. Okay, my lights are back on now. Okay. So, last, last uh, discussion point of the roundup. Um, 
little article came out. This is a, an article that it's a little old. July nineteenth, uh, twenty twenty two is when it came out, and I don't believe there's been an update since then. Someone can can fact check us, and if they do have something to share, please send it to us. Uh, but this is in usnews.com. The DNR, Wisconsin DNR, Department of Natural Resources, says no release date for the new wolf management plan. Wisconsin wildlife officials say they do not know when they'll release the new wolf management plan after initially saying the document would be out this spring. Cody, what is the conspiracy that is happening here? I don't know if there's a conspiracy here, but this is one that I... Because um, you were involved in this a lot. Yeah, and I'll lay... This is your bread and butter. I'll lay this issue back on hunters and probably piss some people off. That when the wolves got delisted in, what, 2019? 2020? It's before COVID. Yeah. Hunters... I'll just use that phrase and not get more specific put immense amount of pressure on Wisconsin to rush immediately into a wolf season. Um, I agree there should have been a wolf season. Wisconsin actually had a piece of legislator, legislation that mandated that they have a wolf season, um, and Wisconsin rushed into it. They rushed into it, and I don't think they did any catastrophic damage, but they did some significant PR damage by going over the quota and then they tried to argue back well we didn't really go that far over the quota because the tribe they did they, they they went way over the quota allotted to hunters and i feel like they rushed into it um and i lay some blame i do and the, i'm probably gonna they're gonna you think we get texts now i i think i think hunters and hunting groups put so much pressure on them to do it immediately that the dnr did that and it wasn't organized well so now, probably, they're, uh, they're going to take their... And they're just taking their time? Yeah, they're going to take yeah, their yeah, yeah. time reorganizing it and not go through the debacle. Can you imagine the letters they got when they went, whatever they went? They went 100-plus wolves over quota. Um, well, we had this argument before, remember? I was on the other camp in that there was oh. 220 wolves on quota. <laughs> 200 and, 220 wolves, I think, on quota. They, they killed 227. It was, but some of that quota was given to the tribe, and they didn't use it. Biologically, the quota was 220. Right. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter who you give it to. It doesn't matter who you give it to. The quota is the quota. I agree. I agree with you. I, I do. I agree with you. But I'm telling you that a whole bunch of damn people don't. Whole, yes, no, whole, totally agree. Totally agree. A bunch of people saw it as a major debacle. I believe... It was a bit of a debacle. I think Wisconsin should have taken their time, developed a better system, um, and laid it out a little bit more. I don't think another three, four, five, six months before the wolf season happened to get organized. I believe 100% the Wisconsin DNR has the ability to get organized. They weren't given the time to do it. Hopefully this is a case of they're genuinely yeah. taking the time now. Yeah, I'm putting forth a – I think, Julie, one of the things that – we talked about before, especially in these very, very limited quota hunts, Missouri has it for bears, is some sort of like instant reporting system or check-in system with the people that have tags. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and I have to agree, you know, anytime 
So number one, it's difficult to make any major decision under pressure, especially under immense pressure from multiple different sources. And anytime the word wolf is spoken, I feel like it just kind of quadruples any type of drama that's happening around the conversation. It's It's a, you know, it's definitely a trigger word for a lot of groups, organizations, and people. So, you know, yeah, I think that if they were trying to make an educated, data-driven decision, um, you know, it's difficult to do that under that much pressure. Um, but I, I do stand by, Robbie, what we talked about last time. You know, we, um, as a person who runs a tech company, <laughs> we have tech. And, you know, a lot of states have really stepped up their game on, um, you know, instant data as far as when an animal's taken, geotagging, location, understanding all of the parameters around that. And I think that this goes deeper than just, oh, we might've made a bad decision, but like, let's take a few years and figure it out and quotas and this. I think that if they came at it from so many different angles and took their time figuring it out, they could actually appease both sides in some ways on Mm -hmm. this one. But Mm -hmm. it has to to include some form of um, technology that prevents that from happening again, where yeah, okay, so everyone's kind of semi-happy with the the decision that was made, but then because of a lack of information, people get upset afterwards. Um, you know, instant reporting is crucial. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. On, on issues like this, where, why not? It, it would take them, based on what I know, with technology, six months, you could have something in place through their app, through the state, absolutely required tag it on site and then when the quota's done boom shut it down yeah i mean there's really no there's there's no reason why you can't have that in place at this point yeah and send a a, you know community-wide tag-wide text message out that says literally season's finished yeah like on the spot just shut Mm -hmm. it down Mm -hmm. so but yeah i mean i but looking back historically at what happened i think that it's tough to make decisions when you when you feel that type of pressure and it's a very hot topic and you've got people from all angles coming in they probably did the best with what they could in that moment but they should have taken their time i agree and taken a step back and not been so you know um so quick so you know quick to rush into that totally agree i do too good we're on the same page for once, We're all Cody. On the same page. Cody, you know, I just realized something. Um, what may cheer you up a little bit, since you seem a little grumpy today, and a little, you know, is that you don't you don't have your agave with you today. Yeah, I feel cruddy enough that I wasn't sure alcohol was the uh, proper prescription for it today. <laughs> Are you sure? It seems like but, a great idea. Um, I tried it last night and it made it worse. So, no, it wasn't. I, I tried to self-prescribe uh, last night and it wasn't a good idea. Well, Julie McQueen, we're always, always happy to have you on the Blood Origins podcast. Uh, I know we're going to have you back. Um, you'll probably be in regular rotation every six months or so because um, you just like having conversations with you and you make the three screens a lot prettier than just the two of us. So, <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys. And I, I learn a lot and we're, we're like, we're like 80% of the time always on the same page and on, you know, we, we see things the same way, but yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure. Love what you guys do. It's, it's, um, it's 
it's very fascinating to see some of these stories coming out and to see so many different perspectives on it. No, we appreciate you. Cody, any last thoughts? No, thanks for your time, Julie. It was a great show. Cody, yeah. get better. Go have a COVID test, please. And uh, <laughs> or we'll find out next week if you have COVID or not, right? Yeah, probably. All right, ciao. Okay, bye, guys. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.